So when we do a content strategy with an organization, we will set the direction of who is publishing what, where, who's got responsibility, what success is, what value is, because those are two different things. When you archive something, how it sits with the business goals, the digital goals, it's the vision of how it works. So you should be able to give your content strategy, your brand and tone, and your star guide to a new content person, and they should be able to produce content from those three things. This is Writers in Tech, a podcast where today's top content strategists, UX writers, and content designers share their well-kept industry secrets. On my UX writing journey, I had a mission to understand different content style guides of different companies. So I created this curation of content style guides with the help of our Facebook community, Microcopy and UX Writing. Many people mentioned different kinds of content style guides in a post thread that I uploaded. And then I released it as an article. I will share that article in the show notes, but that's not the point. The point is that a content style guide that many people mentioned was the one of gov.uk, which is the content style guide of the government website of United Kingdom. And today is a super exciting day because I'm going to interview the person that was actually in charge of the content design of uh, the content style guide of gov.uk. UK. She's a content design warrior and her name is Sarah Richards. She works today at Content Design London and they have many different trainings for UX writers. And I had a complete honor to have her here today and speak with her about her process of creating a content style guide for governmental service and also talking with her a little bit about the future of voice interface design. You're listening to Writers in Tech, produced by UX Writing Hub. Have fun and enjoy. So today we're having a very special guest, all the way from Content Design London, the author of the book, Content Design. Welcome, Sarah Richards. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much for having me. For sure. Sarah, how did you get into content design? I know your background is working with the government, right? Yes. I kind of had a, a weird career route. I actually studied design graphic design and advertising. I wanted to be an art director. And then halfway through my course, I found out that copywriters at the time, they earned more. So I switched disciplines. <laughs> so I, was, I was a really mercenary 19-year-old and then just kind of fell into QA and editorial. And I was working for the government on a website called DirectGov. And it was this massive orange behemoth of everything that everybody could think of they would just shove it on the site and the thing is that at the time the government departments also had their own websites and then they had separate websites as well now there was an estimated three and a half thousand government websites but it's estimated because nobody actually knew so nobody kept track of any of these things so there's just this wealth of information out there um and DirectGov was supposed to be kind of like a, the, the original name of it actually was Storefront. It was supposed to be the forefront of government, but it wasn't. It was just a repetition. The, the, there was pages on there on how to keep bees and to put on a jumper if you're cold. It just, just pointless, pointless, pointless thing. Anyway, I worked on that. It was a lot of fun. And then GovUK came along. So by then, I'd been in government for about five years, maybe. And are you in charge, by the way, on the content style guide of gov.uk? 
Of WK, yes. We have an article, a post, in which we feature the most inspiring content style guides and it features over there. Ah, thank you very much on behalf of the team. So yeah, so WK came along and uh, one of the directors kind of took me outside. He said, right, editorial, what do you want? You can have a blank sheet, go. What is it that you want? It was like getting Christmas on a plate. Do you know what I mean? All the frustration, all the anger. I was like, right, one, lock the CMS. Only me and my team can get to it. Nobody mm-hmm. else can. Two, I, I want to do more than words. We know that people want calculators, calendars, tools, all this kind of stuff, and we can't do it. And in the alpha and in the beta, when I went down, there were developers and designers sitting right there, and we could just have whatever we wanted. Like a kid in a toy store. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it was like, sweet! And that's pretty much how WK was from start to finish. It was just like a massive candy store. It's interesting that the government perceived content people and we were called editors but we weren't really allowed to edit we were allowed to proofread and we were allowed to kind of correct their grammar but that was pretty much it really you know we could make suggestions with certain departments but most of them were kind of like this has been signed off by 37 people or whatever it is you just have to publish it just publish it now so we didn't have any control over any of it so in wk i was like that's got to stop these people are experts in their fields and that's great but they're not experts in communicating that field. Right. And they need to recognize that. So actually changing the name to content design made everybody go, what, what, what are you calling yourself? They were sniggering up their sleeves at us, really, honestly. And some were quite rude. Online, they were quite rude. And to each other, they were quite rude. And I was shouted at in meetings and all sorts. What did they tell you? What do you think you're doing? You don't know what you're up to. You're not the experts. You can't communicate. It's just writing, right? Was it like product managers or developers? Who were the opposition? So in this case, it was policy people and people in the departments really felt that we were being overly arrogant and that we wouldn't be able to communicate their thing very well. However, user testing and all that sort of thing proves that actually we did it pretty well. Thank you very much. So once you based your actions on data of user tests and that kind of data, were those stakeholders convinced that content design is actually a thing? Some. (laughs) Some were. Some weren't. You know, I did have a conversation with one person and she just said, we'll wait, Sarah, because it will go back to the way that we want it eventually. This is just a flash in the pan. I hope that they now realize it's not a flash in the pan. But also I should temper this with, there were a lot of people sitting in the departments who wanted exactly the same as us. They knew what they were doing. They knew what they wanted. They just didn't have permission to do it. So there was a big gulf between the people who hated us and the people who were just ready to go. So what did you do in order to take that responsibility? It's uh, quite a move, right? You need to have courage. (laughs) You need to have strong leadership. That's what you need. So um, I remember going into a meeting. So it's called a franchise meeting at that time because all the departments were called franchises and it was the kind of heads of comms or the heads of the franchises that were there. And there was me and a guy called Tom Loosemore. He was the one that wrote the original report with Martha Lane Fox and he was the director there. And uh, he said, Sarah's going to tell you about the editorial model now. And I was like, right, so we're going to write it and then we're going to fact check it with you and then we're going to put it in the CMS and we're going to publish They were like, we're going to sign it off. I was like, "Mm -mm, no, we're not doing sign-off. We're going to ask you to fact check it. And you do not have access to the content management system. The whole room blew up. One person got up and walked out and slammed the door. What? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, I can't tell you the horrific <laughs> behaviour that used to be in the British civil service. And there was much toing and froing and shouting. But the thing is, the content management system was locked. And we had a really strong management. So we had Tom, we had Etienne, we had Mike Bracken. And they just stood behind us the whole time. And that is the only reason that it worked. In the website like gov.com, UK, it's a huge website. So which kind of CMS system uh, are we talking about? Is it like something that you developed in-house? So that was the other gorgeous thing, right? So in the beta, we were sitting next to the developers and the designers, and we built it based on what we needed. Because content management systems out there, you know what? I haven't found one yet that's perfect. You know, I'm using uh, WordPress. Of course, it's not perfect. It's not even close. to be uh, perfect. The fact that it's uh, open sourced and you have such a huge sense of a community, so much templates and so many people developing stuff for WordPress, that's what makes me keep coming back. All of the SaaS services like uh, Wix, Squarespace, etc., etc., that also provide CMS services are less appealing to me because it's not open sourced and once you don't pay them anymore, You can't use them anymore. And that's a big problem. And with WordPress also, I would imagine you really have to watch the templates because half of them are inaccessible. Uh, yeah, that's why I'm hiring a developer to make it accessible and customize it completely. Yeah. So that was quite of a challenge in gov.uk. And uh, now we work in Content Design London, which is also exciting because I've seen that you have different kinds of workshops in which you teach content design. I would love to have your take about what's the difference in your opinion. You know, it's not a black and white, but what's your opinion about the differences between content design, uh, UX writing and content strategy? The thing is, is that we have an awful lot of terms for ourselves, which is quite ironic given that we're wordsmiths, right? And it's quite confusing for people because you do different things in different organizations and they mean different things in those different organizations. So for me, we created the term content design to change the conversation in the British government. Funnily enough, when I was writing the book, I was actually going to call it something else. I did some research, I did some testing and everybody just went, no, what, what is that? <laughs> Don't know what you're talking about, just call it content design. And content design is self-explanatory, you know? To some. So it's interesting you say that. Lots of people will say, don't know what you're talking about. Why have you got design in there? Content design. You design your content. That's uh, pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would think so. But a lot of designers, straight designers, will say that's their remit. And content design is the design that sits around the content and you just shove the content in, right? Lorem Ipsum. Right. I love the fact that your background is with graphic design. I'm a product designer, by the way. I'm a UI designer, UX designer. Also, we have so much names to the same position. So now we're trying to align it uh, with just product designers, designers that create digital products. As you said, there is so much names right now, so much terms going on, con like content strategy, UX writing, and uh, it's just the people that create the words, right? Yep. So for me, content strategists... So when we do a content strategy with an organization, we will set the direction of who is publishing what, where, who's got responsibility, what success is, what value is, because those are two different things. When you archive something, how it sits with the business goals, the digital goals, it's the vision of how it works. So you should be able to give your content strategy, your brand and tone, and your style guide to a new content person, and they should be able to produce content from those three things. They can't. You've either hired the wrong person, you need to train them, or your documentation's wrong. 
So kind of content strategists would do that. A copywriter for me, so I'm an ex-copywriter. As I said, you know, I've worked for some of the big advertising houses. They're generally given the format. So generally, not always, but generally, they're given like we're doing a tube ad or we're doing a poster or we're doing a, you know, a newspaper advertisement. Write some words. Whereas content design isn't. We just take the user need and go, right, they need a tool, a calculator, a calendar, a poster or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then we choose the format and then we can move on based on what the content strategy says all the goals are. Right. So you address the pain points of the users uh, with the content. Yes, exactly. Right. That's awesome. So you had a workshop in the last confab, right? Yeah. Measuring uh, return of investment. Uh, a lot of organizations that we see, at least, they don't understand the value of working in this way. They still think it's a case of publish everything and uh, everybody will come. So I did a workshop purely on getting around that kind of conversation. So for example, with success and value, your success may be, I don't know, 4 million people on Twitter, but if nobody engages with you mm-hmm. and nobody buys your products or services and they don't become your champions, it's not valuable to you. It is successful. It's not valuable. And you need to actually make a conscious decision what that is. A lot of organizations would just go, well, we just want to be liked. It's like, well, you're just cogging up the internet. What are you doing? <laughs> be useful or get off. Yes. So there's that. And that comes down to the user needs. If you don't know what your users need from you and what value you add as an organization, what specific value you add, you cannot tell what your success and value is. I heard a term that's called customer success manager or something like that, which is a person that is in charge for engaging with the customers in that manner and not yeah. just being liked on Twitter, for example. Yeah, exactly, exactly. There is a company that will remain nameless because I'm not sure that I'm allowed to mention them, but they have a whole team. It's a massive company that you will know the name of. They have a whole team of people who continually look across their products and services. And if one of their clients could move to a cheaper product or service, they go and tell them that. What? Yeah. That's cool. That's amazing. That's building trust right there. Exactly, exactly. And that is far more valuable in the long term and success of a billion people signing up and then they all, you know, leave within a month. What would be your process of setting up uh, something like that? This sounds amazing, like uh, being a company that is conscious enough and have enough confidence to say, okay, we can take less money for specific users and we're going to do it. But how do you even think about stuff like that uh, when you work with a client or when, when you teach your clients that kind of pain points? solving the uh, methods? I think it's quite hard, but I think a number of organizations are really coming out now um, with their ethics first mm-hmm. and then the money grabbing later and they're killing it. I mean, they're, ju- they're just killing it. In, in the UK, there are various companies. There's like Bulb, for example, it's an energy company. It's only green. Uh, they have amazing communications. Their emails are just spot on. And they only have one tariff, so there's nothing to choose from, things like that. You've got uh, here, we've got um, a company called Who Gives a Crap? And they deliver toilet rolls to your house, right? In massive boxes. No way. Yeah, half of their profits go to building toilets uh, in places where they don't have them, right? So That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know about that. Or everybody that I know now has Who Gives a Crap? What? Yeah. 
because we've all fallen onto the bandwagon of, you know what, we got to have these things. <laughs> so we got to have these things, right? So you might it to people who are behaving ethically. I right. think big switch. There is a shift at the moment to move more towards ethics. And I think if you don't have those types of ethics, I think you may see a hit later on. Right. You know, also you can see it more in younger generations, millennials, these generations, that they don't care about brands at all. They don't care about franchises. They can leave your service tomorrow if they will see something a little slightly more appealing. But if they will, you know, follow your values, if you have values and it will be appealing for your audience, they wouldn't leave you that quickly. That's it. That's it. I think there's a shift. If I, if I think back to my very long time ago childhood, um, th- there was much more personality and there were people that you could connect with. Now you get these massive behemoth organizations. They're completely faceless. You don't know who they are. You don't know what they're doing. Um, you don't know anything that's going on behind it. So I think, I think it's just a human endeavor to connect with something. And you have to connect with something or someone. So if you can't connect with the people connect with the ethics right and and you can definitely feel in many 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 organizations today that they don't listen to you they don't even see you you're just another number they just want the money and i think a lot of us are just moving away from that now there is a company that all of us know and i'm not going to mention the (laughs) name but when you want to market on their platform they don't have um you know, you can pay a lot of money to them and they don't have a customer service. So they don't have a person that you can reach. And this oh. is one of the biggest marketing platforms in the world at the moment. Oh, wow. Yes. If you're doing marketing on that platform, you probably know who I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. This is very frustrating as a marketing person. I'm not doing a lot of paid marketing, but you know, sometimes you pay amount of money, you invest it and you don't know where it goes and it doesn't return the investment and you want someone to listen to you and they like take your money they don't care about you and once i will have a better service than that that will return the investment i will never invest it again type of marketing also i really love uh, how burger king you know burger king how they talk to their users like on twitter and yeah, yeah. i don't know so you just remind me how you can uh, create success using like great content, even if you were a huge behemoth uh, brand. I think those ones are ahead of the curve and those are the ones that will stay with us. I also really like the fact that you focus a lot of your attention on readability and accessibility of the content, of course. So except from the fact that it became a legal issue that you need to tackle as an organization, can you tell us more about what you do with content accessibility or which kind of practices people that are listening today, which are copywriters and UX writers and content strategists and content designers, product owners, what they can learn today about content accessibility that will help them in their day-to-day work? Yeah, so, well, we have the readability guidelines. It started because I saw content person after content person producing new style guides like every five minutes, they're starting a style guide and it's like not brand and tone, right? So it's not their tone of voice, it's their style guide. And most style things are set in usability or they should be, in my humble opinion. Um, so when I was at GovUK, I had the style guide researched by the University of Reading. So it's academically researched from a usability standpoint. 
and everything in that style guide was tested. But a lot of organizations won't use it because it's government. So particularly universities and academia, they're like, well, they don't know what they're talking about because we're, you know, academia. It's like, "Mm mm-hmm. The way that a date is formatted is the same for you as it is for everyone else. But this was a real blocker. And I thought, you know, content people have so much more to give than writing style guide after style guide and then arguing about it. That's the other thing. Once you write it, you then argue about it loads. One of the things that tipped me over the edge to leaving GovUK is that a couple of years after we launched, I was still arguing with people in departments about why we shouldn't use a capital letter on the word government. Nobody cares. Half half the UK is already moving to a lowercase g. Language moves on. You need to move on with it. Otherwise, we'd all be talking like Shakespeare, right? This is hmm. this is not. So ordinarily, when I start up, I will start with a GWK style guide purely because I know that it's been researched to death. But other organisations weren't doing this, so we opened up this project. I did an alpha, and then uh, we did a beta, and now it's live. And it's a wiki, and the whole idea was like we get global contributors to one place where all the evidence is so at first I thought oh it could be like a universal star guide but that's not kind of really what people wanted that's what we found in the alpha was that people actually wanted a place where they could get all the evidence for their style decisions because a lot of it is all over the place or it's behind paywalls or it's it's not there so we pulled all the things together things like short sentences right we all know as content people use shorter sentences If you have a 72-word sentence with high punctuation, nobody is going to know what you're talking about. You're going to lose people as you go through. And it's not just intelligence, right? This whole dumbing down thing, it is not a thing. It's not a thing. Most of it is about time. People don't have time to wade through your crap anymore. So the wiki has uh, some guidance up the top, short kind of too long, didn't read summary at the top about people who it helps. So we're covering things like mental impairments, uh, cognitive learning, visual impairments, hearing impairments a lot. We're trying to get to most things. So that's at the top. It's like a summary. And then there's some detailed guidance. And then there's all the evidence down the bottom. So that's all it is. And then you make the decision about whether you want to go with it or not. We are looking at, there are some things that are missing. So we're looking at testing that. And we're going to run our own research and then make that open and available to people because the usability and the accessibility of content is, is probably the easiest thing you can do, right? If you've got a beautifully accessible template and your code is gorgeous and your design is gorgeous and your words don't make any sense to anyone, <laughs> you've still got a useless service. And there are stupid little things. Joe Schofield did a, a Medium post that says that negative contractions in microcopy is a lot harder for people to understand. So don't use them. You know, it's, it's nitty gritty things like that that can make your information open to a much wider audience if you just follow mm-hmm. these usability rules. Which kind of examples is talking about in the, like which kind of negative uh, microcopy? So if you write can't instead of cannot, Mm-hmm. or won't instead of will not and those sorts of things so if you have that contraction it's harder for people to get so it's interesting right there are the, but these tiny little things can just break a service for your users it can just stop people dead and they will go somewhere else. increase the dropout rates more friction 
Exactly. Shorter sentences don't just help people with cognitive load issues. It's anybody with time issues, uh, dyslexia. If you are a carer and you're explaining it to someone else, you don't want to have to wade through something, process it, and then spit it out of your mouth. You want to be able to just read it straight. So that's what I mean. Like this accessibility and usability is kind of the same thing for me. You don't have one if you don't have the other. So they're all kind of meshed up. And that's what the readability guidelines does. I think it's a beautiful project. And I, I, I feel like it could be a very great uh, template for someone that uh, want to build some kind of a content style guide for their organization. So they could start with this template just to follow along and then create some kind of, uh, you know, so they would have a sense based on, you know, community of more than 500 people of what works and what doesn't work. Yeah, exactly. Well, if anybody wants to get involved, it's open. Please get involved. I'm going to add the link in the show notes. So I just saw Google I.O. 19. There is a lot of talking going on around the Google Assistant and around conversation design and voice interface. Scary stuff, you know. It's not only scary stuff, but like there are already conversational interfaces. The world is shifting to that direction. And I would love to have your take about voice interfaces, like how do brands should prepare to a future of voice uh, interfaces, for example, based on content design uh, methodologies, of course. I think voice is going to change the written word, really. And I, I'm really excited. Apart from the ethics around the tech, which is a little bit dodgy, <laughs> generally, I'm really excited about the whole thing because when you take into a very traditional hierarchical organization that they're doing voice, they have to listen. Well, I say they have to, they they should have to listen to the users and what the users are saying because they're answering a question. They're not able to give 10 tons of background because nobody's interested. Nobody ever was interested. They don't want to read it either. But the thing is you will not place anywhere with voice if you don't get to the point really quickly. Design is not going to save you. Your brand is not going to save you. You're simply not going to rank. You're not going to register. You're not going to be there unless your content is designed around the need of the user based on accessibility and usability, and it is the most useful thing on the internet. Brilliant. So I'm I'm really, really, really excited. I think it's going to be brilliant. I think brands are really going to have to understand that if they don't take care of the user need, in a succinct, engaging, uh, useful way, they're not going to be there. Listen, I already feel it with the Google Assistant because ah, yes, yes. Uh, I have this button here on my headphones that I press and then the Google Assistant is uh, got my back and it's synced with my calendar. So I'm like, hey, Google, at an event tomorrow at 12 p.m. And then she's like, what's the name of the event? And I'm like, meeting with Sarah Richards. And then she will have my back. But then when I tell her, hey, let's reschedule it to 2 p.m. And then she doesn't get it. And then I'm mad. I'm yes. mad. I'm legitimately <laughs> mad. I'm like, how you don't get me? And you even forget, it's like in the movies, you know, you, you forget it that you're speaking with an algorithm. And yes, of course, we can't expect it to be perfect, but we can start building conversational interfaces that integrates with those kind of technologies. Google are releasing their API and I've heard about companies that start to build different kinds of apps for the voice interface app store, which is the Google Assistant, and just 
connect different kinds of grocery lists and different kinds of apps. And this is exciting stuff, you know? It is really exciting. I think it, it will also force the kind of user research angle because you're not going to be able to do anything unless you've got it. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be great. I also think going back to what we were talking about before with ethics and the company that gets the ethics right are going to be the ones that win, ultimately. Right. Because nobody wants a dystopian black mirror kind of future. <laughs> we, we don't want the computers running our lives. I just listened to a podcast about the fact that we are all having surveillance systems in our pockets, which is our phones. And in that podcast, they interviewed, I don't want to go too dark with this talk right now, but in that <laughs> podcast, they were interviewing an, a police officer that just finished her service. And she said that if you want to be safe and you want to make sure that no one will hear you, you should put your phone in the microwave. And if you're super anxious about if they are listening to you, so press uh, on and turn the microwave on uh, if you don't want people to listen to you because at any given moment, every person can uh, listen to you with very small uh, hacks. Oh my God, that's horrible. So this is also our responsibility as designers. You're shaping the, the future of content design, you literally dictate the term. So it means that you are training today and you're going to train the future many writers. And it's very important that people like you will talk about uh, ethics because they're going to design conversations with users in the future. And one of the main uh, issues, we don't want to hurt the users. We don't want to just steal their money. We don't want to ha- them to be glued to the screen or anything like that. We want to make sure that they have happy life, that they're fulfilling their wishes, that they everything's going smoothly and because we are users too. By the way, I hurt my nose the other day because oh. I went into an electricity pole when I was looking on my phone. So, oh my God. <laughs> I'm a bit distracted. <laughs> yes, so we should be conscious about uh, that. <laughs> About where we're walking. <laughs> Of course. I do want to ask you a little bit about, uh, I heard about a Content Design London Academy uh, yeah. that you just uh, started. And uh, for our listeners that uh, are from England and they want to participate, so uh, I would love to hear if you tell us more about that. So Content Design Academy is a 12-week course. It's once a week in the evening and then there's some exercises to do before the next session. It's a couple of hours and we will run through a project for a charity. So we've just found our charity. It's a community center. We'll be releasing details soon. Nice. And they're going to come in. They're going to brief us with the problem. We probably would have done some research with them before because analyzing research is a big part of a content person's life. So we're going to give them research and then we're going to run the whole project. So it'll be user needs. It'll be sentiment scoring. It'll be what channels these people are on. Do they need tools, calculators, calendars, whatever it is. We're going to run crits. So you're going to have content crits all the way through. We're going to go through the kind of fact check approval process with a client. We're going to have conversations with data only so that they can learn to talk about content design and talk about their worth because they know all this stuff. They can do the job. They're just not being given the opportunity to do it. Um, And then at the end, we give all the content to the charity and then they're going to publish it. So the charity get content for free which has been content designed by 12 people and two trainers. There's me and Henrik, who's my lead strategist. We're going to be teaching them. um, And then they will get fully designed content to hopefully make their web presence a whole lot better. Which goes straight to their portfolios as well, which is 
a great benefit. They can say, hey, this charity use my content, hire me. That's it. And when the participants sit in an interview and they're told, give me an example of when you've used journey mapping, they've got one. It's not just that they've read about it and they know what they're doing, and they do. They've got a concrete example that they can talk about. Great. And people can expect to have their content design. It's in London, right? Yes. That's amazing. Have you heard about the free code camp in the past? No. What is this? Free code camp is a platform that uh, teaches you how to code for free, but you need to do it for a non-profit organization. That's amazing. Yeah. Google it. Like, I will send you a link to it. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You can send them like your students and you can bring charities from them. Thank you. Can you send me that link? That 100%. Yeah. Okay. Cool. It was really fun to meet you, Sarah Richards. I'm excited uh, for this episode. Likewise. Thank you. Cool. If people want to reach out and talk with you and ask you about anything, what would be the best uh, way to find you? Twitter or LinkedIn. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here today. I had a lot of fun. <laughs> Likewise. Thank you very much. For sure. Have a good day. All right. See you later. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. So thank you for being with me here today and investing the time and efforts to listen to this podcast because I know it's not easy, even though if you are in a commute on your way to work or on your way back from work or you are stuck in a traffic jam or you're just walking, jogging down the street. I know that picking the right podcast over a flood of many different podcasts is not easy. Today, you chose to listen to this podcast, Writers in Tech, and I want to thank you for that. And I want to ask you for a favor. Only if you like the episode, I want you to share it with the world and have an hashtag common Elon or tag Elon Musk because I want to speak with him about the future of voice interface design. So that's about it for today. See you next time and have a great day. Thank you for listening to Writers in Tech. If you like our podcast, then leave us a rating and subscribe so you're updated when a new show comes out. For more UX writing goodies, sign up for our UX writing newsletter at uxwritinghub.com. Thanks again, and that's all for this week.